Today on Blue 58, you never like to look too far ahead, but a clash with the Buccaneers in the playoffs seems all but inevitable. Can the Packers exercise their postseason demons? And if they're going to do that, what's it going to take? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we get into the episode itself, I want to take a second to thank you for your continued support of our charity drive this year. We have now cracked $1,500 in donations, thanks to a couple that have come in over the last couple of days. Really appreciate everybody who's taken the time to uh, to connect with, with me and get their donation receipts in. If you want to participate, details are in your show notes, but if you do, there's a chance for you to win valuable Packers prizes, including the Green Bay Packers jersey of your choice. And, you know, the Packers did just unveil a new throwback this year, and it seems to be pretty popular. Maybe you enter the drawing. Maybe you get yourself one. I don't know, just a thought. Anyway, the Packers have had a busy week. Uh, They've had people coming on and off the COVID-19 reserve list. They've got updates about people who are and are not practicing. And they've had some people uh, in town for both tryouts and to sign as free agents. So let's talk about the roster stuff before we get to playoff talk. Roster stuff. First, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is headed to the COVID-19 reserve list. Bad news, unfortunately, it looks like he'll be out for this weekend for sure. Though with the new protocols, that could mean he is back sooner than later. All he has to do is be, I believe, is be asymptomatic. For sure he's got to pass a test, but it is just the one test now. So he can be back to the roster relatively quickly here. The other news about the guys that are already on the roster this week uh, involves Jair Alexander and David Bakhtiari. Neither of them are going to be playing this week, according to Matt LaFleur. A small surprise, I think, but canceling practice today probably did Jair in. We'll talk more about Jair Alexander later in the podcast, but it seems like without practice reps, he wasn't going to get onto the field. David Bakhtiari, though, there is an added wrinkle here. According to the injury report the Packers released today, which is a sort of this is what would have happened thing since they didn't practice today, Bakhtiari would not have practiced had the Packers been on the field today. I have been fairly optimistic about David Bakhtiari's return to the lineup. This is the first time where I felt a twinge of concern. Reading the injury report today started to feel like, okay, there's at least a possibility that it's not going to be the way we hope it's going to be. Let's put it that way. And that is discouraging. Now, there still is plenty of time left, and everything that I've said before about Bakhtiari remains true. The Packers are trying to get him back for the playoffs. A short week game against a team you should beat anyway, however scary Miles Garrett might be, is probably not worth rushing him back for until he's completely ready. Maybe they try to get him back next week. You've got two tune-up weeks, then hopefully a bye, and then you're into playoff action. Maybe. Let's wait and see. Let's get some more information. But this was some discouraging news today. Among other guys working their way back from injury, Matt LaFleur says still no plans for Zadarius Smith to practice. He seems to be stuck in neutral. It's been a while since we've seen any steps forward there. As far as his status with the team, I'm not counting on him being back at, at, at any point this year. A back injury, back surgery is a tough thing to make it back from. So we'll wait and see. 
Uh, but for right now, it seems like he continues to be more or less stuck in neutral. In terms of actual guys added to the roster this week, we have Peter Kalambayi, a linebacker from Stanford, six foot three, two hundred and fifty-two pounds, relative athletic score in the eights. Apparently, can speak fluent French if that does anything for you. Uh, this new fellows was a fourth round pick by the Texans back in twenty eighteen. He has appeared in forty one games for the Houston Texans. Since then, 2018 to 2020, has not played with anybody yet this year, was released by the Texans in January. Over those three seasons, Kalambayi had 31 tackles, no sacks. And if you're starting to think like, okay, 6'3", 252, good athlete in a straight line, not a lot of rep on defense, sounds like a special teams guy to me. Well, you got that right because he has played a ton of snaps on special teams in his Still pretty young career. 2018, 298 snaps for the Texans. 2019, 285. 2020, 201. Sounds like that's going down, but really it's just the Texans playing fewer and fewer special team snaps because he played 68, 68, and 71% of snaps, respectively, on special teams over those three years. He signs to the practice squad. Packers have another body there. The Packers also have had a pretty busy week in terms of tryouts, a few guys in town to show what they can do to the Packers. Wouldn't be surprised if one or more of these guys ends up on the roster at some level at some point. First one is Kerry Angeline, a tight end out of North Carolina State's Big dude, 6'7", 250 pounds, undrafted this spring. Spent some time with the Cardinals and Eagles. Big bird guy, I guess. Not a great athlete, 289 relative athletic score, and most of it comes down to the 40-yard dash time of 4.89 seconds. Also not very good in the measures of explosiveness. Also trying out is fellow tight end Elise Mack, a tight end out of Notre Dame, 6'5", 247 pounds. He was a 2019 seventh-round pick by the Saints. He has not appeared at an NFL game, despite spending time with the Saints, Steelers, Chiefs, and Lions since 2019. Athletic guy, though, 8'5", relative athletic score, 4740 yard dash, pretty good for somebody that size, 36-inch vertical. If you're taking flyers, that's the way to go. Get a guy who's a good athlete. Then you've got, on the other end of the spectrum, Matthew Sexton, a wide receiver out of Eastern Michigan. So where Mr. Mack here is a big, burly, pretty fast tight end prospect, Sexton is a bit of a tendency breaker at wide receiver because he is 5 feet 9 inches tall and 176 pounds and purely a straight line burner. Not very good agility stuff, lower end agility scores, but a 4-4-40 yard dash time. He was undrafted in 2020, was with the Steelers camp this year as a punt and kick returner and had five returns for 86 yards. Not too bad, but muffed his final return of the summer. And that was it for him. He's not been with anybody else since then. Finally, uh, trying out for the Packers this week, Kyle Sloter. They continue to kick the tires on a variety of free agent quarterbacks. Uh, Sloter comes to the NFL out of Northern Colorado, six foot five, 218 pounds, and he has had quite a journey to make it to this point. Buckle up. Here's the story of Mr. Sloter. Committed to Southern Miss as a quarterback way back in 2012, but redshirted that freshman year, as so many do. Then in 2013, they needed bodies at wide receiver, so he switched to wide receiver, had five catches for 35 yards and a touchdown as a redshirt freshman. The next year, he ends up buried on the wide receiver depth chart, two catches, 12 yards, so he transfers the next year 
and spent 2015 working his way up the wide receiver depth chart at Northern Colorado. Has six catches for 65 yards, but uh uh-oh, late in the season, their backup quarterback gets hurt, so he switches back to quarterback. And finally, in 2016, he's got the chance to be a full-time quarterback, throws for about 2,600 yards, 29 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. Goes undrafted in the 2017 NFL draft and has not appeared in an NFL game since then, but he's been a busy guy. He has had stints with the Broncos, the Vikings, the Cardinals, the Lions, the Bears, and the Raiders. That means if he ever does sign with the Packers, he will have completed NFC North bingo, spending time with every team in the division. He is also halfway to AFC West bingo. If you're scoring at home, just needs the Chiefs and the Chargers. So those are the guys the Packers are touching base with this week. I also wanted to take a second to mention in, uh, a guy who was elevated to the active roster this past weekend that we have not talked about before, Sean Davis, the safety who has hang, hung out on the practice squad for most of this season. A safety out of Florida, 5'11", 202 pounds. He was a 2021 fifth-round pick by the Colts, released in final cuts, re-signed to the practice squad, then released from their practice squad in September. The Packers signed him on September 21st, which explains why I have not been able to bring him up on the podcast yet, because that was the day after co-host number two was born. So I was a little bit busy when he joined the Packers roster. I think it's understandable why we didn't see that one pop up on the waiver wire. With Davis, I am less concerned about his athletic gifts, partly because we don't have a good grasp on what his testing numbers are. He only did a few things, mostly jumping and lifting. But I am somewhat interested in the fact that they seem to be actively trying to replace Vernon Scott. We talked about this in passing earlier this season. The Packers have had a ton of safety tryouts and safety roster churn this year, but Vernon Scott is still hanging on to a roster spot. We'll talk about him a little bit more later on, but I think it's interesting that the Packers have a bunch of safeties around. They haven't made a move yet, but Vernon Scott has only been active for one game this year. If the Packers are going to make a move in the secondary, it seems like he's going to be the guy on the chopping block. Next up, I want to take a question here from John Bruchbauer, and I hope I said your name correctly. Uh, If not, please correct me. But I appreciate the question. And if you have a question, always good to to reach out, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com or check out the contact page at thepowersweep.com. John asks, do we really think this defense could stop or even slow down Tom Brady in the playoffs? The Bucs have as many or more weapons than any team we've seen this season. And this defense has been burned by the obvious week in and week out, but benefited from a well-timed turnover or stop. I'm concerned about this team's ability to keep Aaron upright and the defense to get a stop when we need it come the playoffs. What are your thoughts? Well, that is a good question. Do we think the Packers' defense can stop or slow down Tom Brady in the playoffs? The answer is yes. And that's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. appreciate you listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, appreciate you taking the time to uh, share it with someone else you think would enjoy it too. Uh, the best way to grow this show is to get more people listening, and that's going to get more people involved in this conversation you and I and everybody else are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm just kidding. I do have an answer for you. I do think the Packers' defense can stop or slow down Tom Brady in the playoffs. Let's do it for real. So do we think this is something the Packers can do? Yes, they can. Absolutely, they can. But as always, with slowing down Tom Brady, no matter who you are, it's going to be a challenge. To find out 
whether or not the Packers are really going to be able to do this and how they would have to do it, I think we have to answer three questions. First, what does Tom Brady like to do? Second, how do you stop that? And third, can the Packers do those things? So question one, what does Tom Brady like to do? Given that he's been in the league for about a thousand years at this point, we've got a pretty good idea what Tom Brady, the quarterback, is. He likes to stand in the pocket and throw pretty quick. He likes to throw to tight ends and he likes to throw to slot wide receivers. As he has transitioned into the Bruce Arians kind of Tom Brady hybrid offense, he has taken some more deep shots. But the bread and butter of Tom Brady's game is still the quick stuff, still the short stuff just being an accurate short to intermediate passer. And you could see that last year when the Buccaneers played the Packers and targeted Shannon Sullivan to death in the playoffs. But you could also see Bruce Arians' influence in that game as well. So question two, how do you stop that? Historically, that sort of offense gets bogged down by three things. First, man coverage. Second, cover two behind that man coverage. And third, pressure up the middle. Man coverage is simple enough. The easiest way to beat quick throws is just by blanketing guys one-on-one. Jam them at the line, guard them, make sure that they can't get downfield against you. It's very simple, but it's not easy. And that is kind of the overall thrust of the problem with stopping Tom Brady. The things you have to do to stop Tom Brady are pretty simple, but they're not easy. The cover two portion of this, though, is the closest thing to being both simple and easy. Getting two safeties deep is the two deep shell coverage we've seen throughout the league this year a lot. It's given Aaron Rodgers problems. It's given Patrick Mahomes problems. It's given Tom Brady problems. It's a pretty simple deal. Two deep safeties gives you flexibility to do man underneath, to do zone underneath. And if you can run that two deep shell, you've got a good shot at preventing teams like the Buccaneers from getting deep. So he's got to be super accurate under the underneath. And then the third component is getting pressure up the middle. Again, simple, but not easy. Got to beat your guys one-on-one up front, beat them with the blitz, get there quick enough that you move Tom Brady off his spot before he can make his quick read and quick throw. Because as we all know, Tom Brady has the approximate mobility of a refrigerator. He's not moving side to side very well. He can manipulate the pocket, but if you can get him to take a step or two, it's going to take him time to reset, and he's not going to make off-platform throws the same way a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes is. Move him off his spot, get pressure up the middle, and then clean up with your edge guys. So then the third and all-important question is whether or not the Packers can do that. And I think the answer there is yes, but can and will are two different things. Last season, the Packers did have the right plan against Tom Brady. They were playing man-to-man, they played aggressive, they had safeties deep, but the Buccaneers hit on some high-variance plays and it worked out for them, and credit to them for doing that. They had the shot in the first half to Chris Godwin that Darnell Savage nearly picked, and then Chris Godwin nearly dropped and just collects there at the very last second on a third and eight. You've got the shot to Scotty Miller where Kevin 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 King Kevin kinged all over the place. And that, of course, happened after a dropped interception too by Will Redmond. The Packers in that game also tried but did not get a lot of pressure. They had a total of five pressures in that game according to Pro Football Focus. One sack, two hits, and two hurries. So the game plan was there. They just were not able to execute at a high enough level to make it matter. But I think you could make a case that the Packers are better equipped this year than last year to make that game plan work. 
their pass rush has been playing better and better as the season has gone on, as opposed to sort of improving a little bit and just plateauing last year. The secondary is better with Eric Stokes and Rasul Douglas on the outside than it was last year with Kevin King playing a big role. Jair, too, if he comes back, maybe in the slot. That's an improvement in theory over Chandon Sullivan. I think you could make a case that the uh, the Packers are better equipped to run the game plan that it's going to take to to slow Tom Brady down. Whether or not they will, of course, seems like a pretty big question. And I get it if you, like John, our question asker here, are skeptical of the Packers' defense. It hasn't been great of late. Had a really disappointing game against the Vikings. Had a tough game this past week. They haven't shown a lot of consistency over the past month or so. And I worry just about them getting figured out a little bit because they had the bounce back after they were able to really implement their stuff early in the season. And as the season's gone on, things have tailed off a little bit. You do wonder if the film's getting out there and teams are starting to figure it out a little bit more. But they've got the people in place to make a plan like you have to have to beat Tom Brady work. I think they can do it. It's just a matter of whether or not they will. I have a couple questions from our Discord server that I want to answer here in a second. But before we do so, I want to take a second again to mention the sponsor of this episode. Today's sponsor, as always, is you. Because Blue 58 is entirely listener-supported, we do not accept ads. We have no plans to do so. And you will never hear ad reads for male enhancement pills, male grooming, daily fantasy sports, anything else. I want this show to run on support from the audience. That means support from you. How do you do that? Head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep to contribute any monthly amount you like. What do you get in return? Well, you get no ads here or on thepowersweep.com, but also bonus content through Patreon and access to our Discord server. And I wanted to take a second today to talk specifically about that. It's like a chat room on steroids, basically. You can access it really easily from your phone. If you're unfamiliar with the technology, really easy learning curve, super simple, Great way to hang out with Packers fans from all over the world. Lots of takes on everything football related, but the people are just great to hang out with in general, too. Yesterday, we had a big, long discussion about our hobbies, people chiming in with all sorts of stuff from rock climbing to video games to writing and reading and a bunch of other stuff. There was even a pretty spirited discussion in there at one point about Dungeons & Dragons. So visit patreon.com slash thepowersweep or see the link in your show notes to join our Patreon, get access to the server, help us keep doing what we're doing here. Today, I want to shout out Patreon supporters Andrea Clausen, Crit Laquia, and Janelle Phelan. Thank you to each of you for supporting Blue 58 and the Power Sweep. Two questions from listeners submitted via our Discord server that I wanted to address before we send you off on your merry way today. First, Old Packers fan writes in with this, quote, given the number of quality defensive backs that the Packers will have when Jair Alexander returns, who will be on the field for nickel and dime packages? End quote. Good question. The Packers are basically a nickel base. So what you're asking here, first and foremost, is who's going to be on the field in the secondary and their base personnel. Packers have run their base quite differently as a 3-4 team than even Mike Pettin did. Uh, they a lot of times run three true defensive linemen. They have two edges out there. One off-the-ball linebacker in Devondre Campbell and then five defensive backs in their base. In that base, you need three corners, and Rasul Douglas and Eric Stokes seem to be doing quite well on the outside in that alignment. So it looks like if and when he comes back, Jair Alexander could be headed for the slot. I think that could work, but 
we have not really seen evidence in the past that it does work at a high level. He hasn't played in the slot regularly since 2018. He played 21 snaps there so far this year before he got hurt after four games. He had played 17 snaps in the slot in week two, and that was his worst graded game of the year of the four that he's played in so far. He never played more than eight snaps in the slot in any one game in 2020, never more than 10 in 2019. But in 2018, early in the season, he played there almost exclusively, but as soon as the Packers realized what they had in him, they moved him to the outside. So he hasn't done it super regularly in a long time. I think people take it as a foregone conclusion that he's going to be good there. I tend to agree. I think he's got the skill set to be good in the slot. We just really have not seen it a whole lot in his career so far. And if you're going back to his rookie year, playing a different defensive system as evidence that playing him in the slot now is going to work, you're going to need a stronger case to, to really get me fully on board. I Again, I think it's something that he can do, but we just really haven't seen it regularly. In Dime, this is where it get, gets complicated because I think the Packers are actually pretty unsettled here. The Packers play Dime with their third safety on the field, not a fifth or sixth uh, corner, or I guess it would be a fourth corner. Because they like those three safety looks because of the vulnerability it gives you, or the the versatility, not vulnerability, the versatility it gets you. But that versatility has a trade-off, and it does come in the form of vulnerability. Because while Henry Black can be good at some very specific things, and does give the Packers an opportunity to play Adrian Amos down near the line, allowing him to fill in as like a quasi-linebacker to give them a little bit of muscle up front in their dime personnel. Black has not been consistent, and Vernon Scott has not played on defense at all. And that's not hyperbole. He has literally played zero defensive snaps this year. He has played three special team snaps so far this year, and he has been inactive for 13 games this year. So we're talking about literally one game. Scott has not gotten on the field, and he has shown no indication, the Packers have shown no indication that they are interested in any way in playing him ahead of Henry Black. So when Jair comes back, it's still probably going to be Henry Black there, unless and until the Packers make a move at safety, because the only other option there is really Kevin King or Isaac Yadam. Yadam is out. It's just not going to happen. We saw a little bit of Kevin King in that kind of role this past week, and it didn't go super well against Mark Andrews. So all in all, this kind of adds up to a sneaky big thing that's got to get fixed before the playoffs. It is fixable. The Packers have a bunch of options at safety on their practice squad. They've got Vernon Scott. They could try. But figuring out that third safety role for your dime personnel is a bit of a bugaboo right now. And we saw last year in the playoffs exactly how impactful a third safety can be. We already mentioned Will Redmond once in this episode. I don't know if I said it by name, but he was the guy who dropped the interception right before the big bomb to Scotty Miller, right before halftime in the NFC Championship game. Just got to have everybody on the field be capable in the playoffs. And right now the Packers aren't quite there. Second question we got from Discord is one that I'll just tell you up front, I do not have an answer for. I've got some theories, but I have no answers. QHM asks, why is Kenny Clark ninth among defensive linemen in Pro Bowl voting? This I do not understand. Because it seems league-wide like there is a better understanding 
of the impact of interior defensive linemen there ha- than there has ever been before. Aaron Donald has done the Lord's work at that position, bringing attention to the impact that an elite interior defensive lineman can have. And while there is only one Aaron Donald, there are other interior defensive linemen who do a great job at disrupting opposing offenses throughout the league. The Packers see a good one regularly, although they've gotten some great injury luck lately in avoiding him. But the Packers theoretically would see a great one pretty regularly in Akeem Hicks in Chicago. He is one of the scariest defensive linemen there is in the league. Kenny Clark is as scary as Akeem Hicks, and he can be, at times, nearly as impactful as Aaron Donald. Is he Aaron Donald? No, of course not. Donald does it in week in, week out, every single every single week at the same level. Kenny Clark doesn't quite take over games that way, but he is consistently a very, very good player up front. And for whatever reason, he just does not get the same level of respect in the media that other players along the defensive line do. And I have a couple theories as to why that is. First, I think there is this tacit behavior. Tacit is not the right word. There is this sort of behavior in the media where you can only pay attention to a certain number of players from a given team. So in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is going to take up the lion's share of that attention. And since the Packers tend to be an offensive team, you're going to pay attention to the rest of the offense before you get over on the defense. So you've got Aaron Rodgers, you've got Devontae Adams, you've got Aaron Jones, you've got David Bakhtiari. Already we're straining people's attention spans, getting them to pay attention about other people on the Packers. So that works, I think, against Kenny Clark. Secondly, given how bad the Packers' defenses have been over the years, I think people nationwide just assume that the Packers' defense isn't any good. Maybe they're right some of the times, but whether or not the overall unit is good has nothing to do with how good Kenny Clark is. But I think people tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater there by saying, well, the Packers' defense isn't any good. They probably don't have any good players on that defense. So I think that works against Kenny Clark as well. Finally, I just think Kenny Clark does not promote as well as Aaron Donald. Donald for whatever reason, has tapped into the media consciousness in a way that Kenny Clark, the soft-spoken, relatively quiet individual he is, just hasn't. And maybe that's just not who he is. And Dominican Sue has a way of gathering attention from the media, usually with negative behavior. Aaron Donald has a way of, well, you know, just being so dominant that you can't help but pay attention. But he, too, uh, will get a little bit feisty on the field sometime. We saw him uh, earn a personal foul penalty against the Packers in the playoffs last year. And we saw him uh, melt down and try to choke slam Lucas Patrick this year as well. That sort of feistiness does get you attention. And Kenny Clark just isn't that kind of guy. So I think that works against him a little bit too. He just doesn't get the same kind of attention because he plays on a team with a bunch of other offensive stars, which historically does not have a reputation of producing great defenses and to plays a relatively anonymous position. You and I might know how to watch for the impact plays that Kenny Clark makes because we watch him week in and week out with a high level of detail. But I think a lot of other people just see a guy who's pretty quiet, who ends up with like four sacks on on the season and just thinks, well, it's not that great. We're going to stick him ninth in the Pro Bowl voting and feel pretty good about it. Those are my theories. What do you think? Why doesn't Kenny Clark get much attention? I'd be interested in hearing them. I'd also be interested in having you 
Share this podcast if you enjoyed it, because that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. And if you want to help out the show on top of joining our Patreon campaign, do me a favor, share this episode. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I and everybody else are having around the Green Bay Packers, which ultimately is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.